Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and troubling workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey out there, and welcome to the first ever episode of Behind the Line. That's right, you are here for season one, episode one, and I'm thrilled you're joining me. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good behind the scenes special feature. I like to learn about how my favorite movies were made and see the creativity and technical skill that goes into making movie magic. That maybe tells you something about who I am. I'm someone who likes to dig into things and really get a handle on how things work and why but more about that in a minute. Let me tell you that when I was thinking about creating this podcast, I decided to name it Behind the Line because I want this to be a space where we dig into the behind the scenes challenges of what it means to work on the front lines. We are going to learn together to grow in our own creativity and wellness skills in order to not just survive life on the job, but to thrive both on the job and off. The topic of wellness for first responders and frontline workers is really important to me. If you don't know me, my name is Lindsay Foss. To give you a little bit of background, I'm a clinical counselor living and working in the lower mainland of beautiful British Columbia in Western Canada. I'm also a wife to my husband, Ryan, and a mom to two kids ages six and three. As a counselor in my clinical practice, I have spent the last decade specializing in trauma-related concerns, and this has led me to work with many first responders and frontline workers over the years. This work has challenged and surprised me, and I've enjoyed it immensely. Much like you, I'm a helper at heart, and I want to make a difference in this crazy world. But I have to tell you, After years working with clients one-on-one, I have heard it all, and honestly, I'm tired. Don't get me wrong, I love my one-to-one work with clients, but I find myself becoming increasingly tired of hearing about systemic level challenges over and over again. I think you probably have some idea of what I'm talking about here. These are the challenges that you likely find yourself feeling like you're hitting your head against a brick wall trying to navigate in your own workplace. Examples of these kinds of systemic challenges include things like staffing shortages that place unreasonably high service demands on too few. This often causes those on the front lines to fear repercussions for calling in sick or needing to take a day off due to the increased pressure this places on their coworkers. Systemic challenges can also include a lack of understanding and support from management level, or worse yet, an adversarial or actively aggressive effort from management to undermine frontline staff. And among the systematic challenges that grind my gears the most are a lack of clarity from workplaces and unions around access points for support and a lack of training within your professional education requirements to support your own wellness. While all of the systemic level challenges are concerning to me, 
I say that these last two bother me the most because there's so much we can do to prevent and reduce these specific issues. What's great is we don't need your employer on board to do it. While it would be awesome for workplaces to offer more support to the frontline staff, some of the really significant things you can do to support your wellness can be done yourself. And my hope is that in getting this out there and supporting you in ensuring your own wellness, we will raise up a new generation of helpers who become leaders in their respective fields and transform this broken system from the inside out. Ambitious? Maybe. But I genuinely believe change is possible all the way up the ladder. But it starts here with you. When I've spoken to first responders and frontline workers about what stops them from accessing support and growing their wellness skills sooner, consistently the answer I hear include no time and not knowing where to start. I created this podcast with time in mind. My hope is to keep each episode to under 30 minutes, and I chose to offer this as a podcast so that it can come along with you on your commute or be plugged in your ear at the gym or while you wait for your kids to finish their soccer game. Aside from lacking time, the feedback I've gotten is that most of you are unlikely to seek formal supports like counseling unless you are feeling significant effects of burnout or trauma. And short of counseling, it seems like no one knows where to go for preventative support, which is exactly why this podcast was created. Hearing the concerns of my clients and my friends on the front lines inspired me to make prevention accessible. During this series, we will dive into topics that are meaningful to you. As a side note, you can help me do this by emailing me about what you would like to hear more of. I'll include my email address in the show notes and I encourage you to let me know about topics you would like to hear me cover. We will talk about stress and burnout, tackle the ways the job changes you, and cover coping with brutal management and workplace dynamics. And I will likely nerd out about how your brain works and why it's doing some of those annoying things it tends to do. If you were to ask any of my clients what they like about me, most of them would probably tell you that one of my greatest skill sets is taking really complex information and breaking it down into be meaningful and usable. I think this is really important because knowledge is power, and I want to empower you to understand more about what's going on for you and why. And the thing is, once we know more about something, it's way easier to figure out how to help it or make change. So stick with me, young Jedi, and you'll find that having awareness of these nerdy bits and pieces is a leap in the right direction. To kick us off today on our first ever episode, I want to talk about one of the key challenges I see facing the system and those of you who work within it. One of the common experiences I hear, whether it be from police RCMP, corrections officers, firefighters, paramedics, nurses, social workers, and so on, is that your workplaces focus on reactive measures rather than proactive measures for wellness. This is a theme I have heard come up again and again, both with my clients as well as with my close friends on the front lines, 
and with those I've interviewed in building this podcast and my other frontline-focused resources. What do I mean by reactive versus proactive? What I've heard from so many of you is that it means that support for common workplace mental health concerns, including burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, and PTSD, is offered primarily within a short time after a critical incident. The supports are offered or clarified after a bad thing has happened, rather than all the way along, to prevent the bad things from hitting quite so hard. Now, let's clarify that a normal day in your line of work is harder than the hardest day in most people's work. And that to qualify something as a bad thing in your day means it has to rank way beyond what the average person could ever imagine dealing with. When we talk about critical incidents, it's bad, bad. Now, likely at best, reactive protocols often look like bringing in a critical incident stress debriefing facilitator to run individual or group debrief sessions after a critical incident has occurred, which can be valuable, but I would argue that this misses the mark in a big way. More often, reactive protocols look like some peer support and maybe an email from HR with phone numbers for your workplace's employee assistance program or EAP counseling service. And at worst, reactive protocols look like punitive measures, such as incident reviews and suspensions following a critical incident and a lack of direction toward wellness supports while enduring the demoralization of investigations into your own behavior and responses during the incident. This is a story I have heard too many times. Along with frontline staff, our community helpers being left to figure it all out for themselves, which I find tragic. Now, I'm not intending to mean that reactive measures are inherently bad. They're not, and can be quite helpful in response to a critical incident if handled well. I myself am trained and certified in facilitating critical incident stress debrief sessions, and trust me, I see its value. But on its own, it's not enough, and here's why. The critical incidents are tough, and they absolutely shine a light on the need for wellness supports, but they do not live in a vacuum. Did you hear me? Critical incidents do not live in a vacuum. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it this way. Imagine your home. If you're anything like our family, you're busy and always playing catch up and keeping things clean may not be your highest priority. I want you to imagine the buildup of toys on the floor, bathrooms needing to be deep clean, dishes piling up, a mountain of laundry needing to be washed, folded and put away and you just found out your in-laws are coming to visit. All of a sudden, you are trying to get through everything top to bottom, and it's overwhelming and exhausting. And you think to yourself, it would be so much easier if we did a better job of staying on top of things, if we didn't let it build up like this. And there it is. This is what it's like for you in your work. Follow me here. Your work is not critical incident after critical incident. It's a lot of big and small stresses that compound over time. 
and many of them have little to do with the actual job part of your job. What I mean by this is if you're a police officer, for example, a significant amount of your stress on a daily basis has little to do with actually going out there and catching bad guys. It's paperwork deadlines, returning phone calls, interacting with management, feeling the weight of the limitations of the system, interacting with the public, and a million and one other things. Then a critical incident happens. In our cleaning example, this is the in-laws coming. It's a moment of reckoning, where we have to deal with the mess we're in, in our example, quite literally. When a critical incident occurs, it is absolutely difficult, but it is made more difficult by the compounded effect of all the other accumulated stresses that have added up over time. If we had better skills and a better plan to deal with all the big and small stresses along the way, it's likely that the impact of a critical incident would be significantly reduced. This is why a preventative approach, a proactive approach to wellness is really important. If we can keep our mental and emotional house in order in the day to day, we tend to have to scramble less when the pressures really hit. Reaction is never as strong as prevention. Let me say that again. Reaction is never as strong as prevention. This seems obvious, right? In your work, you run drills, develop strategic action plans, and embrace protocols because you know that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So why do we apply this principle to so many areas of our lives, but not our own wellness? Look, I'm thankful for programs like the Critical Incident Stress Debriefing programs offered for many industries. I know it can be a helpful resource and can reduce some of the risks associated with event-based situational stress or trauma. But in your line of work, that's not the bulk of what you're facing. You're facing persistent stress, continuous exposure to non-normal experiences, And you are situated within a system that is more often an antagonist than a support. So while reactive interventions are valuable, without some amount of preventative measures in place, they fall short, like really, really short of the mark. And we see it, right? We see it in the stress leaves, the burnout rates, the early retirements, We also see it in our own short temper with our spouse or kids, our suspicion or skepticism of others, our constant exhaustion and fatigue mixed with restlessness. We see it even more dramatically in the divorce rates, the addictions rates, and the suicide rates for first responders and frontline workers. You guys, this is a big deal. And to some extent, the preventative measures offered in most of your workplaces, like short-term EAP counseling, feel like they pay only lip service to supporting your wellness, rather than really investing hard into you and the value you bring as a well person to the work that you do. If you're anything like me, you're tired of watching good men and women go down around you. 
You're tired of seeing the toll and you're tired of feeling it yourself and fighting it for yourself. And I'm with you. Part of what I feel tired of is hearing those I know say things like, if I had only known this sooner, or if only this was something we talked about years ago. Enough is enough. It's time for us to be talking about it. It's time for us to be coming up with our own strategic action plans. When I talk with frontline workers about a strategic action plan, I often get a blank stare. Like, that sounds like a cool idea, but what in the world does that mean or look like? Well, let me tell you, preventing and reducing the impacts of your work is multifaceted and it's personal. What that means is that any plans you create will be uniquely your own based on your own interests and preferences, and it will need to show up in all aspects of your life, personal and professional. At its core, your strategic plan puts you in the position of being the central figure in your own life. It acknowledges that your wellness has critical value in your being your best self in your job and in your personal life. Acknowledging this and planning in a way that emphasizes this is huge. For most going into helping professions, we have an internal tendency to value and prioritize others. This is admirable, but it also has some limitations. And these show up when we go into work that demands and demands and demands of us without a lot being put back in to support us. If we don't support ourselves and ensure we give ourselves the same amount of valuing that we give others, we're going to be hard-pressed to keep it up for long. It's too draining. Okay, so how do you make a strategic action plan? I'm not sure if you know this, but about a year ago, I created a really great free tool, if I do say so myself, designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers. It's called the Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, and it is actually designed to help you kickstart a personalized action plan and work at prevention. Or if you're already a little ways down the road to burnout or long ways, it is also designed to offer support around burnout reduction action planning. The tool helps you to self-assess your own indicators for burnout and offer some initial steps to be responsive to the degree of burnout that you're facing. I'm including the link where you can sign up to access this totally free tool in the show notes, and I would really encourage you to check it out. It's downloadable and printable as a PDF, and I created it to be a tool you can use over and over again to review where you're at as it relates to burnout over time. Now, you might not be sure if what you feel in your work can be considered burnout, And frankly, that's okay. The word burnout is helpful to some people and off-putting to others. What we're really talking about is the effects of persistent stress. You do a job where you interact with some of humanity's worst moments. For many of you, your daily work brings you into another human's worst day. And the experience of that has weight. And you do it over and over and over again. And then on top of that, you face all of the management and bureaucratic challenges too. 
Oh, yeah. And then you come home and try to feel normal and be normal and make those you live with feel like life is normal. It's a lot day in and day out. And it's exactly why, whether you want to call it burnout or stress or something else entirely, we have to confront it and find ways to support better prevention and early intervention. You deserve to be a well version of yourself. You want to bring a well version of yourself to your work and to your family and to your life. I know that today we're just scratching the surface, but come on, it's only episode one and we're just warming up. I hope you'll stick with me as we continue this conversation and dive deeper into tools for wellness. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about how we do this whole strategic prevention reduction action plan thing, and I can hardly wait to jump into it with you. Before we end for today, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with those you know and help me to get wellness into the hands of more first responders and frontline workers. I've included links to my social media pages and invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I post additional resources and work to connect with you. Also, as a reminder, I would love to hear your feedback and welcome your thoughts and ideas on topics you would find helpful to hear more about. You can find my email address in the show notes, and I hope you'll reach out. I want you to know that I am grateful for the work that you do, and I want to help you continue doing it without sacrificing your wellness. Until next time, stay safe.